We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Kathy, I told you I was going to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. And I promise you I will watch the time. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his faith, face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate and the Lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tent, and it shall be return, and shall be eaten as a tail tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. It's been about 19 years since that fateful day on September the 11th, 2001, a day that marked our nation for a lifetime. Most Americans alive that day remember forever the sadness that we felt, the anger that we felt, the fear that gripped our nation. But we also remember that there was a sense of unity in our nation. We learned that life-changing events can actually bring out the best in us. When America is pressed into crisis, America steps up to the challenge. And we learned that heroism is a gift held in every person's heart. Heroism is a decision made by an ordinary person that finds themselves in an unexpected situation. No one's born a hero. No one's born a hero. Heroes aren't made. Heroes aren't developed. A hero is an ordinary person who through some circumstance of life steps forward 
in this unexpected situation. You know, we throw the word hero around today sort of like winning a ribbon or a trophy or because we're, we were a participant, we're a hero. We hear the word hero and we, we think of a sports figure or, or a politician. Well, we don't think of any politicians as heroes, but we, we, we think of singers and people in different places. And we, we throw this word hero around a lot. That simply being there, simply observing life, being there require, required something special. You're a hero because you were there. Being a hero is much more than just living the norm. It's, it's going beyond the norm. That's what a hero is. Todd Beamer was a 32-year-old salesman. He was on Flight 93 on that day on September the 11th. He went from being an ordinary, everyday salesperson to a hero. Upon learning what was happening on his flight, he and others stopped terrorists from flying Flight 93 into our nation's capital. He forced it, along with the others, to crash. He gave his life, as did many others, in a cornfield in Pennsylvania. He left behind two children and a pregnant wife. If anybody had a reason not to be a hero that day, Todd Beamer had a reason not to be. You see, he had children. He had a pregnant wife. But all those. But this is an ordinary man that stepped up because extraordinary circumstance. He, he became a hero. David Fontana, a firefighter from Park Slope Fire Station in Brooklyn, was among the many firefighters and first responders to come to the World Trade Center that day. A 10-year firefighting veteran. September the 11th, 2001, was his eighth year wedding anniversary. He had worked all night and had just called his wife to say, I'm on my way so we can celebrate our anniversary when the fire station got the call. And so he left. After the towers came down, a colleague of his, Sean Cummins, dug through Ground Zero for three straight weeks, hoping to find some part of Dave's body, his helmet, a scrap from his uniform, anything that he could give to Dave's wife to remind her. Heroes, people that in just ordinary life, an extraordinary circumstance, something different happens, and they step forward. Just ordinary people facing life as life dealt it to them. The only difference between a hero and an ordinary person is the choice they make in a circumstance. You see, there were other people at Ground Zero that fled. There were other people at Ground Zero that left the scene. That doesn't mean that they were cowardice. It, does, it means that they understood that there could be a loss of life. But a hero is someone that understands there can be a loss of life, but it can't be theirs. I'm going to help. That's what a hero does. Isaiah was a young man growing up in Jerusalem at the time uh, of his life. And from his birth until he was teenage years, there had only been one ruler in all of Israel, King Uzziah. He was a very good ruler a very loved ruler. History records that Uzziah reigned between 51 and 52 years. But as Isaiah came into his teenage years, it became very apparent that Uzziah, his reign was about to come to an end. His death was coming. And so fear began to grip the kingdom of, uh, of the people. And, and they wondered, okay, if this new king comes in, if he's a young king and he sits down in power on the throne, will he have the wisdom? Will he be able to lead like Uzziah? In those times when a king died, one of the main concerns in the kingdom was what other kingdoms around them would see as a weakness. 
When the king died, it was their opportunity to attack the kingdom. War was prevalent. And so this is where we find Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah did what many people did on September the 11th, 2001. He sought direction from the only one who had the answer, God. On that day, on September 11th, 2001, there's story after story after story of people who sought God. What do we do, God? Show us where to go, God. How do we handle this, God? You remember what happened right after 9-11? Churches filled up. World news was speaking about the importance of God. God's name was respected again in America. This country was reunited. We became one. We became solid again. All kinds of people showed up in church. People of all different nationalities, all different backgrounds, from financial to political. It didn't matter. People were showing up in groves in the churches, admitting they needed God's help, admitting they wanted God's help. So Isaiah enters the temple, as we're reading here. He's sad and concerned about his nation. After all, the king has died. War's imminent. And this is when he receives this vision that we just read about from God. In this vision, there's four stages I just want to quickly talk about that Isaiah experienced with God in the temple that night. You know, God will give you a vision. He'll give you a, vi a vision because he wants you to receive an experience. You know, a lot of people want to have a vision, and they want to tell everybody about the vision, and it's everybody else's responsibility to fulfill the vision. But God gives us vision in our life because he brings responsibility, and he brings experience. And notice where Isaiah happened to be in the temple. The first stage was sight, verses 1 through 4. Seraphim came to Isaiah. A seraphim, the Hebrew word for seraphim, seraph, it means a fiery copper-colored creature. This creature was fiery-looking, and the fire was copper-colored. And so this fiery cop copper-colored creatures showed up there in the temple. They were actually angelic forms sent from God. They told him he would have to share the news to the very people who believed that they were to be blessed by God, that very soon they would be destroyed because of their obedience towards God. And so in his desire to get a word from God, he sees a vision. And in that vision, he's told by the seraphims, guess what? All the people that you've come for, that you're praying for, that you're asking for a direction for, these are the very people that are going to be destroyed because of their disobedience towards God. And so now that King Uzziah had died, Isaiah is the one that stands between God's people and God. This young man, teenage years. But he understood something about what was being told him. He understood that their future was not in his hands, but in God's hands. See, a lot of people won't pray about things in our country because they're afraid that it becomes my responsibility in my hands to fix it. When in fact, when we come to God with what's going on in our country, it's not our responsibility to fix it. We can't. We cannot fix it. But if we will get the vision of God that He can fix it, we won't have the vision that Isaiah had. Y'all, we just read the vision. Did you not get a little bit of a mm, eerie feeling like what could happen in America? You know what the vision was? I'm going to utterly destroy and get rid of every person 
here. That's what God said. This wasn't the armies. This wasn't the devil. This wasn't some, this was God. Well, how long is this going to go on until I get rid of every single person? That just gives me the shudders here about America because I can't find America in Scripture. I can't find America in Scripture, especially in end time. And so that would lead me to believe. Now, this is not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not telling you this is going to happen, but it leads me to believe that the vision that Isaiah had could very well come upon this country. It could very well come upon this country. When a nation becomes disobedient and proud and its people become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, the bow is going to break. The kingdom's going to fall and down will come nation, leaders, and all. The second stage in Isaiah's experience was insight. He saw the seraphims. Now he has insight in verses 5 through 7. He realized, he saw, he had an insight about his own sin. He recognized, I am a participant. I have some responsibility. God's true presence always brings conviction. We know His presence brings joy, and there's a fullness of joy, and all, but God's presence will always bring conviction. If there is things in Pastor Don's life, if there's sin in Pastor Don's life, if there's... Uh, places that I'm going and things that I'm doing and people that I'm seeing and things I'm watching and words that I'm saying, any of that stuff, if I get into God's presence, I'm going to feel conviction. If I'm not praying and I'm not reading God's Word, see, I took the hard road first because it's easy to pray. It's easy to... If I'm not doing those things... The conviction of God speaks to me. And so he confesses he's a sinner. He cried out to God to be cleansed inwardly. God cleansed me on the inside, and God did it. Verses 6 and 7, Then flew one of the seraphims. There wasn't just one of these dudes there. This burning angelic form that had this copper fire look to him. There were several. It says seraphims. One of them having a live coal in his hand that he had gotten out, he takes out of the altar with the tongs a live coal and puts it in his hand. Then he places it upon the lips of Isaiah. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Listen, before you can... before. Isaiah could minister in any way to God's people about the vision he had seen. He had to allow God to minister to him. And quite often, that's where we miss ministry in our lives, is that we have not allowed God to minister to us first. A lot of times we're fearful to minister to people in our lives. We come across people we know we should have ministered to. We see people and we hear people and we hear things they say and we know God's prompting us to speak, but we don't because we haven't allowed God to minister to us first. But God wants to minister to His church first. Isaiah's conviction led to his confession. And confession, oh, listen, confession... Conviction leads to confession. Confession always leads to cleansing. 
1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. You see, if we confess because of conviction, then we get a cleansing every single time. You understand that not only have you been forgiven, you have been cleansed. The ten lepers came to Jesus. He healed all of them. Only one returned with worship. Now that man was made whole. That same word is cleansed. He was made whole. In other words, not only was his body made right, but his spirit was made right. And that's what happens when we, under conviction, confess. Not only is our body made right, our spirit, our our whole man is made right. Many great heroes of faith in Scripture found themselves first as sinners. Look at the heroes of faith in Scripture. Every single one of them found themselves a sinner before God. And they came to God. You know what Austin was talking about this morning? If you really caught it, Eve could have repented. Adam could have repented. Cain could have repented. Every single one of them had an opportunity. God gave them a window, a time, a frame. You know, God knew where Adam was. He knew where Cain... He didn't ask that question. He was giving them a space of time to repent. Where are you, Adam? God, I did something wrong. That's all he had to do. And you'll find this very thing happening Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. We've got to all get past the number one God killer in our life. There's there's number one God killer in our life. It's pride. It's a God killer. It doesn't kill God. It kills God in our life. Pride eliminates God out of our life. And quite often we don't go to God simply because of pride. I really believe Adam who was in all in all the top dog in the whole planet. When God came to him in his mistake, had a little bit of pride. I can't let God find me this way. He had a little bit of fear. Why? Because that's what pride brings. You get too proud, and guess what? It's going to bring fear. You're fearful because of your pride. You're going to get knocked off the podium. You understand God intends to knock you off your podium. Okay, just so we're all clear on this. If you're on a podium, get ready. God intends to knock you off, not to hurt you, to save you. The third stage or experience that Isaiah had in the temple was vision. Sight, insight, vision. He saw the need. You know, that's what a vision is. God simply presenting to you the need. Do you see the need today? Do you see the need in America? Do you see the need in our local community, in our homes? Do you really see the need? If you do, that's a vision from God. Oh, no, Pastor Don, that's not a vision from God. I'm such a good Christian that I just recognize it. He said, there's nothing good in me. God, there's nothing good in me. There's none good but God. I love all of you. You're good folks. There's just nothing good in you. 
save Jesus Christ. Now you got all the good in you. Is America in need of a God intervention? Is America in need of a God intervention? Absolutely. Israel was in need of a God intervention here. In need of a God intervention. God wanted someone to minister that intervention to Israel. Give them an opportunity. All he said, he'll go. Y'all get nervous because y'all think I'm going to ask y'all to go out on the evangelistic trail or the missionary trail, aren't you? God just wants to know who'll go. Who'll go. Who'll go into the highways, the byways. Who'll go, who'll go in the neighborhood. Who'll go into the school. Who'll go, who'll go, who'll go at work. Who'll go to their family. That's all God's asking. And you got to love Isaiah. He's in the temple. He's by himself. There's just the seraphims who are God sent. But he's like this. Here am I. I'll go. Here am I. I'll go. He didn't have. He's the only one there. But his response is this, God. God, here am I. I'll go. I'll be the servant. I'll be the one. I'll be the servant. I'll be the servant. Never underestimate what God can and will do with just one servant. Moses was one servant. Delivered an entire nation. One person simply willing to hear God's voice and answer God's call. Don't ever underestimate that. And the fourth and final stage of Isaiah's experience was blindness. Blindness. You see, Israel could not see. It's kind of like America today. Israel could not see. Their hearts were blind to God. We've blinded America. We've blinded our hearts to God. Everything is more important to God. All of our entertainment, all of our lifestyles, all that we have, all that we own, it's all. Here's the thing. God owns it all anyway. And if God owns it, God can do whatever He wants when He wants and how He wants. The message that God told Isaiah to share was something like this. And, you know, Isaiah, had, after this, has to really be doing flips and cartwheels. No matter what you tell them, Isaiah, they're never going to get it. That's what he said to Isaiah. I'm sending you, Isaiah, to your people, my people. But no matter what you tell them, they're not going to get it. It's like people walking around with their fingers in their ears, not going to hear it. No matter what you do, they're never going to accept it, Isaiah. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, I'm giving you this vision because they're never going to listen. But he still said to Isaiah, go. Go. You see, most often when we hear that reference, we decide, well, that's not where I'm going to go. After all, they're not going to hear. They're not going to respond. So why would I go? Then Isaiah asked God, well, how long is this going to go on? I'm going to go to the Jews, to your people, and I'm going to speak these words. They're not going to hear a word. They're not going to listen. How long is this going to go on? 
And God simply said, well, it's real easy. You'll be able to figure this out really quick, Isaiah, until all the cities are found empty, till every home is vacant, till there's no one left in the land. When that's done, you're done. When that's complete, you're complete. Until then, you keep going and you keep talking. You see, no matter how we feel about how people are listening or not listening, responding or not responding, that's not our place with God. Our place with God is to go and tell people what God has spoken to us, the vision that God has given us. You see, in, in, in the New Testament, God gave the church a vision. Jesus didn't leave us without a vision. We call it the Great Commission, but it's really the Great Vision. Go ye therefore. I don't have to finish the rest because that's the vision. Go ye therefore. Have you ever looked and seen how many times Jesus said, Go ye? Go ye. That's the vision he has for the church for us to go. Isn't it hard to, you know, there's some people that you're around them all the time, so you know their personality and you know their godlessness and how they don't really care for God. But you know you need to say something to them. And you know the feeling that it feels like, you know, no matter what I say, they're not going to. My aunt texted me, her, one of her former husbands. She, <laughs> she can't get married in Texas anymore. That's beside the point. She sent me a picture because... Uh, this particular uncle, I, I really liked. He, he, was, he was a good guy. just wasn't good to my aunt. There's a picture of him with his granddaughter. And he's, he's lying in the bed. He's got colon cancer, and he looks like he doesn't have very much longer to go. She said, what a sad picture. She said, I tried to talk to him, but you see, his, his dad abused him, and his brother abused him, and his mom abused him, and that's how he grew up. And so she said that over the times in their life, when they were married for about 10 years, she'd try to talk to him about God, and he would always come back with the same thing. If there was really a God, none of this would have happened. And so there he is now at the end of his life. If there really was ever a God, none of this would have happened. And his little granddaughter's there, and his granddaughter, his daughter, uh, which is my cousin, she committed suicide several years ago uh, just because she couldn't take it anymore. And so she took her own life, and she left five kids behind. And this is the youngest one that's with, with Earl, and she loves God. She has a heart for God. Even at the end of his life, God has somebody whispering in his ear, whispering in his ear, go, go ye, go, go tell him. And so she's telling him, who knows what's going to happen you know what my prayer is, the same prayer you have right now. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't I don't want to go to his funeral, but it's inevitable. But wouldn't it be awesome to go there and say, you know what happened? He totally changed his heart and his life and his mind. Man, they, they rolled this container in there full of water, and we baptized him. And, man, he came up out of that water, and the Holy Ghost just was all over him. Man, would I love to hear that. We can never come to a point that we don't go ye therefore. Just as Isaiah was told to go ye therefore. Man, can you imagine how Isaiah must have felt? I want you to go preach it, Isaiah, because I'm going to get rid of all of them. He must have really been cutting flips at this point. 
The problem we live in America and what's happening today is we're dealing with the same type of people that Isaiah was dealing with. They were dishonoring God. People are dishonoring God in this nation. Not willing to admit they're wrong. That's the biggest problem in America. It's not so much what we're doing. We just won't admit it to God. You see, God says, if you'll just admit it to me, I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you. We just don't even want to, we don't even want to admit it. Now let me go outside the church. Because this world is worse than that. And is this world putting us in a place where God's going to say to some preacher someday, go and preach it because I'm going to get rid of every single person out of every single state, out of every single home, out of every single family. And when everyone's gone, you're done. That couldn't happen in America. Truth is axiomatic. What was true in Isaiah's day, what was true in Moses' day, what was true in Adam's day, is true today. It's the same truth. It's, it's true for all generations. And listen, God doesn't make people sinners. God doesn't make people blind. God doesn't make people deaf. And He doesn't make them hard-hearted. That's their own doing. It's a resistance to God. And like Isaiah, we've got to continue to proclaim God's Word no matter what. I want to say this. Austin, thank you for challenging me. For challenging me. I truly believe this church ought to be the most exciting thing that happens in Kennedale, Texas. I really believe people ought to be hearing, you know, this is craziness, but you need to go down and go to that church. You're not going to believe what you're going to see and feel and, and, and experience. You're not going to believe it. Because that's what happened at Pentecost. You guys aren't going to believe When this was noised abroad, nobody ran around on the day of Pentecost. Oh, they're receiving the Holy Ghost. Most people have never even heard of that. They went around saying this, though. (laughs) You're not going to believe this bunch of drunks down here at the corner down here. They came out of this upper room. room, They were drunk. Man, they were just, you're not going to, you got to go see this. This is the craziest thing we've ever seen. That's why we got to keep preaching it. We got to get to, we got to talk to our neighborhoods and the people around this area, the people around your neighborhood. And you're, you're like me. I don't live here. Let's see, who lives here? Just a couple of people in the church live here. I, I, I used to think Bruce and Shell did, but they have a Fort Worth address. You're the Lone Ranger. What if, if, what if we just went out and preached it? You know what you could preach? You could preach two things. Number one, Jesus Christ. Number two, you're not going to believe the craziness you're going to see. Most people are going to come for number two. They, they want, people love crazy. That's, the kind, that's where we live today. People love crazy. The very first time I was in a service, that I saw somebody run out of a... They had an ele- this is not elevated. They had, they had an elevated choir loft that tall red-headed Terry Brock bolted out and ran down the aisle. He was worshiping God. I thought the place was on fire. For real. And I'm thinking, dude, he's going for an extinguisher. And then he comes running back up. 
and gets back in the choir, and they're still singing. And nobody is alarmed by this but me. But, you know, I'm playing it cool. Craziness. You know, I used to tell y'all, we're not going to get crazy. You know what? That was a mistake. Because because true worship, true worship to God, to the world, is crazy. It's craziness. It makes no sense. But you know what happened to me one day? My little girlfriend just kept taking me to church. Come on, come on, you know, and I had to go. I was going to lose her if I didn't. That's what, not what she said. That's what was in my mind. I ain't losing this girl. So I'll just go to this church and experience this craziness. Well, about a month into craziness, Pastor Don got crazy. Oh, my Lord. The Holy Ghost fell on Pastor Don in a service. All crazy broke loose. It was, crazy had broken loose before that. I just joined the crazy. I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all are all a bunch of crazy people. I, Truth, truth, truth. God loves crazy. God loves what the world sees as crazy. God loves. He loves a good worship. Oh, He loves a good worship. When you're worshiping Him, that's what a good worship is. I'm not saying a pretend, presumptuous. I'm saying a good worship between you and Him. God loves that. He loves it so much. He let a king do it in front of all of a nation. What would you do today? And I'm going to end. If Tuesday night, President Trump gets up to give a speech, and all of a sudden he gets crazy. Not like you're thinking, but like we believe. What if he started worshiping the Lord? Oh, Nash, number one, the, the ABC, NBC, and CBS would flip that switch off. Get that off of there, man. Get Secret Service up there. we got a problem. Man, what would happen? David got crazy. He got crazy. He told the buffoon, which is the guy that usually led the craziness, you get out of the way. And he buffooned it up. He got crazy. What would happen? Our proclamation is our requirement. We're required to go ye therefore, okay? That's a command of Jesus. But the response is their business. So let me end with this. It seems that God told Isaiah his ministry to his people were going to be a failure. Isaiah, I want you to go minister to your people, and after all, you're going to fail. How do you, he must have felt. But in spite of the situation, he remained faithful. Those who lost their lives trying to rescue others in 9-11 were all heroes. You understand Isaiah was a hero. He was an ordinary boy that God said, listen, my people need to hear something. Who will go? And he said, I'll go. He was a hero. On 9-11, there were those people that responded. Those who, there, were those, there were those who lost their lives as heroes. But you know, there were those who kept their lives that were heroes. There were many heroes that day. Today, more than ever, we need heroes in the church. People who are willing to, if they have to, lose their life. After all, Jesus said, if you want to, if you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it. If you want to have a life. Oh, I've got a life. 
If, you, if you're not living it for God, no, you don't. You think you do. You have no idea. Losing your life for Jesus Christ. Putting, putting your life on the line, not, not for yourself, but for others. That, that's what a hero's about. I, I really believe I'm in a house of heroes today. I, I believe there are heroes in this building this morning. Stand with me if you would. There are heroes here. We throw that word around like it's a trophy or a ribbon, but I'm not doing that today. I believe there are people that are willing to give their life. And Jesus didn't say, live, die for me. He said, live for me. That's what he meant when he said, give your life. He didn't mean go out and die for me. He meant go out and live for me. Because what's going to happen when you live for him is that other people are going to live for him. That's the whole purpose in what he said and stated. In other words, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19, in Mark 16, in Luke, he told us, go be a hero. You're living an ordinary life, but there's some extraordinary circumstances around you. It's just the decision you make and what to do in the circumstance. Oftentimes we look at hero. My dad was a hero of mine. I've never said this to this person before, but you understand something. Now, this person asked me before if they were going to get credit for everybody that I ever won. <laughs> but my wife is a big hero of mine. You know why? She could have easily never invited me to church. She could have easily said, you know what? You don't fit in here. And after all, you do that. And I don't do that anymore. She could have easily just said, you know, but she didn't. She kept on and kept on and kept on. That's what a hero does. The possibility of loss says I'm going to do it anyway because you matter. You count. You're a soul. No greater love, no greater love has anyone than if they lay down their life for a friend. God's asking today, who's going to go? Who's going to go? I read an article the other day, and the article was, where are our heroes today? I need to write that author back because I can tell them where our heroes of today are. They're in this building. In this building. So God's asking today, who's going to go? Who's going to go? Who's going to be the hero? Well, I don't really like the limelight. That's okay. You can be a hero and a hero and a hero and a hero and never hit the limelight. If you don't like it, God won't put you in it. Who's going to go? But Lord, this nation is in such a terrible mess. There's, there's so much going on here that's so anti-God. Who's going to go? God, our nation's it's beyond now. We, 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 we're not be able to reach the people of this. It's okay. Who's going to go? Even if God were to speak in this service today that America is doomed, He's still going to ask the question. 
who's going to go? Lord Jesus, in this house are many heroes, the people of God who say, here I am, I'm going to go. I've got a family member, I've got a neighbor, someone I work with, someone I go to school with. There are people that I see every day in, in the supermarkets, at the stores. I cross paths on the walking path that I work out with, that I go to the coffee shop with. There are just literally thousands of people, Lord, that we can be their hero simply by going and speaking. God, help us to realize that every single one of us in this building today have a hero in our life. Someone willing, someone willing to go beyond themselves and touch our life. So God, I'm asking you today to make this pastor a hero. Make me a hero, not for hero's sake, because heroes are only heroes because of someone else. Touching someone else's life. Saving someone else's life. Make me a hero. Lord, we used to call it soul winner. I don't know what we even call it today. But I'll use that. Make me a soul winner again, Lord. Reaching out to anybody and everybody. Let me see every opportunity. Could it be, Lord, that we stand in heaven and just admire our hero, our God? Because you're our greatest hero, Lord. You gave it all. You died so we could live. Lord, we all here today want to live so that others might live. Make us heroes in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Church, just commit it to the Lord this morning. Just commit it to the Lord. Lord, here am I. I'll go. I'll go. Going maybe next door, but I'll go. Reach out to the Lord right now. Jesus. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.